Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. Uh, in a return to our usual programming, once again, I'm joined by the CEO of ITAP Group, Chris Horn. Hi, Chris. George, how are we doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Um, what did you think of our Morocco episode? Were you jealous? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, I... I didn't know anything about this until I heard a podcast <laughs> and I was like, right. <laughs> it sounded like epic fun. Yeah, it was great. I mean, amazing, really good fun. Um, yeah, but it's been a busy old time since then, hasn't it? It has. It's, it's rather chaotic at the moment. All good though. Uh, we, we're getting closer, 12th of June. So the, our census goes out, the game shooting census, which you do every year, that goes out uh, this week. So for me, that's always like we do that at the time when people are really in the like peak of planning as in like most of the planning's done. We can capture what's going to happen for this coming season. And that's exciting because it means it's just around the corner and it is really just around the corner. And it feels weird saying that. Yeah, I know. Middle of June. I can't quite believe it. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm excited because I'm going fishing tonight. Um, so uh, that's going to be very fun. Fishing a chalk stream for the where first you- time this year. Oh, where are you off to? Uh, just a stretch of the test, just um, just outside Stockbridge, so absolutely prime water. I've, I've been getting reports all day from the rest of my family who are already down there. Um, in, so, in like 34 degree heat or whatever we've got outside of the back door at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've been sweating all day and I think I'm going to turn up at just the right time when it starts cooling down and the fish start rising. Oh, <laughs> uh, dreamy. <laughs> yeah. Right, Chris, enough of my boasting. Um why don't you introduce our guest? Sure. Uh, so our guest today is probably best known for getting his top off on telly. Uh, <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we, can, we can debate that one in a second. Uh, he actually appeared on, on Love Island a few years ago. Um, because he loves shooting so much, uh, there was no way he was going to keep that out of the press. Uh, he's a regular on Field Sports Channel. I'm sure a number of you would have seen him. And he also... Uh, uh, his family own the Land Hydrock estate down in Cornwall, uh, where they have game shoot. Uh, so a really interesting chap to talk to. Uh, lots to talk about. A huge warm welcome to Ollie Williams. Hello. Hello to you both. Now, you, you've already given me grief about getting my top off, but George is currently wearing a uh, vest, uh, in, in which looks like uh, his, his attic. So uh, yeah, that's, um, let's, let's not let that one slide, please, before we, before we start. Well, yeah, the good news is this is an audio podcast, so nobody else has to see it. Oh, it's all it's all God. quite pink. It's all quite pink as well after after the weekend. The ladies are missing out, that. honestly, they are. <laughs> George's dress code means that it's impossible to ever share it on YouTube. People ask, why don't you put them on YouTube? It turns out there's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> is that is actually probably his, his most most clothed he's been in, in many episodes, I I've been told. So um yeah. Yeah, it's exactly true. Um, so, Ollie, when we first started setting this up, um, when we first asked you to come on, you said that you were uh, playing midwife to a Labrador. Yes. Um, so, uh, how are the pups? They are. Um, if, you, if you've not already heard them, they are. They're just about that age now. They're four weeks old. They're just the age where I actually came down this morning into the kitchen, and they were just all over the place. So they all escaped out of the whelping box, and they were causing absolute chaos. Um, so, yeah, they are very, very cuddly, very fun. Um, and uh, she only had two, bless her. Uh, oh, really? Was, yeah, yeah. I know. It's just so I took her to the vet. I was a bit concerned that there was a small litter, um, but I was like, no, they're both healthy, and 
she's very very racy as a lab she's very fit so she the vet said that might have contributed towards it as well as the fact that it's her first litter um so yeah there were just two of them running around uh causing chaos but yeah they're both happy and healthy and i'm planning to keep one so oh lovely it's Very a good nice. age that they th- this is the age they sort of they learn to learn to walk and they just run in run backwards into everything i, I remember like, yeah <laughs> yeah well they just also they start to develop a personality as well they do you know before they're just little bundles of just fur and whiskers yeah. but now they're uh yeah they're starting to develop a, a personality which is nice so um yeah, it's, uh, it's it's starting to be a bit more of a, a, enjoyable to look after them. Aside from all the um, the poo and wee, of course, that they're depositing around the place. <laughs> have yeah. you uh, offloaded the other other dog? Have you got any takers for it? Um, sort of. So a good friend of mine who who takes a couple of days with us, um, Dan Van Hydrock, He's he's uh, he said, "Yep, I'm interested." Um, and I said, "Well, there, you know." So. Sent him all the details, as well, but let me ask the wife first. So I suspect he may come back and say no. But uh, said, so, you know, next time maybe ask your wife before you uh, say you want the puppy. But uh, I think he might take it. So uh, taking a puppy without checking with your wife is uh, up there with the bravest decision anyone would make. Yeah, like booking a tea time. <laughs> I know, a long time of day it can get quite messy. I, I half expect to come home and find a puppy that my wife has acquired from somewhere. Um, she's almost more enthusiastic than me. Yeah, it doesn't work that the other way around, by the way. Well, no, because there's no, you know, it's your your wife's rule is law, isn't it? In, um, Correct. John's is sitting across the table from me here, so I need to be a little bit careful what I say. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, she's leaving the room. No, never mind, she's out. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Right, I think we'll press on. Um, Ollie, what's that you're drinking? So, um, based on the fact that you booked this on a Monday afternoon um, and middle of uh, silage season, I've sort of jumped out the tractor for the podcast to come and um, talk to you both. Uh, so, it's currently a uh, bale trailer and tractor in the, in, in the yard. Um, so, unfortunately, it would have been an alcoholic drink, of course, uh, and it would have been a dark and stormy, which is a rum and ginger beer, um, which is... It's a serious drink. Yeah, I sort of grew up with a drink sailing. I didn't, well, obviously, over the age of 18, of course. Um, but, you know, grew up with a drink sailing, and then they, they got, Gosling's brought out these fantastic uh, little tinnies, um, which mm. are basically, I'm not convinced it's just alcohol in there. You know, you have one, and you, it does sort of send you in all sorts of different directions. But they're fantastic, so it would have been that. But unfortunately, it's just your average cup of tea. So, um we can't condone driving a tractor after a dark and stormy, so that's fine. Well, many would, <laughs> but it's not a wise decision, I wouldn't have thought. Um, no, so tea, obviously, it can't, you can't have a day shooting, I don't think, almost without, without a cup of tea, you know, whether it's in the morning or, you know, if it's, a, if it's a slightly more sedate day in the afternoon after the day shooting. So, yeah, I thought a tea was the most appropriate drink uh, in the circumstances uh, talking to you guys. I think my love of a tea in the afternoon... I think a large part of it comes from shooting. It's that associational drink of of like that's the when you have it, and I think then it starts to stick. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. and it's also you know it's hard to, to to sort of put yourself in that situation at the moment when it's 30 degrees outside, but you know when particularly when it's been a cold, wet day, and you get back in the warm and there's a fire going and there's a, a great big cake on the table and a big pot of tea. There's few things better, actually. 
But also, even in, you know, being very English here, even in boiling hot weather, it's still refreshing. It's still, you know, it still hits the spot. You can be out, you know, and uh, in, in working, whatever, all day, come in and a cup of tea, and even in 30 degree heat, I, I, 30 degree heat, I still think it, it hits the spot. I yeah, should absolutely. go try it after this one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason cricket matches stop for tea. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> But they did. They've only really just restarted, you know, cricket, cricket tees. Because um, I've just started playing cricket with Digby actually at uh, Baconic, uh, and I was I hadn't played haven't played cricket for four or five years, uh, and now I've sort of realised my rugby days are perhaps behind me. So replacing it with cricket, and they've just this is the first year they brought tees back after COVID, because obviously because oh, really? you know that was you know finger food and that was far too dangerous for people playing cricket. Not the fact they were chucking a ball between each other all day, um, but yeah. So I've obviously rejoined the uh, the cricket sphere at the right right time. As teas have been brought back, very good. <laughs> cricket at Beconnet's going to get competitive. Digby talks very highly about this. There's a lot that rides on it. Well, I, I've, I hate to admit it, but they talk quite highly about Digby as well. I haven't actually seen him play yet. He, he, he was in Morocco <laughs> last week, obviously. Just to around. confirm, we're going to cut that part, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> not making it to end. No, well, I haven't said anything. God, I would never, I'd never, I'd never <laughs> confess to anything Digby being good at, especially not shooting. I'm, I'm just going to censor it. I'll just beep it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, some some compliment about Digby. No one needs to hear uh, it. No, no, you're right. But Beconic is about to take a step in the right direction, I think, with... Uh, with um, with some serious powerhouses coming in, not. Okay. <laughs> right there, George. What are you drinking? Well, uh, speaking of drinks that aren't typically associated with with warmer weather, um, Chris, you're a red wine man, aren't you? Mm. Yes. So um, typically, this kind of weather, you might be thinking about rosé or, or white wine, um, but I actually think that a nice chilled Beaujolais at this time of year is a nice thing. So that's what I've got. Uh, you weren't expecting that, were you? I absolutely wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people that drink chill Beaujolais anymore. How deep is your cellar? You know, this time it's got to be about it's got to be about six feet under to keep it this, to keep it cool in this weather. Well, I confess I did just pop it in the fridge for half an hour before we started recording, uh, just to bring it down a bit. Um, and it's very nice. It, I, the, the, my first experience of it is totally unrelated to shooting. It was when I was living up in London and, and living with a bunch of idiots. Um, and we spent a very happy afternoon in a pub beer garden drinking the house Beaujolais from ice buckets. Um, and uh, yes, we got through several bottles that afternoon. Um, so uh, every now and again in the summer, I like to have a nice little glass of red has it got enough to it or is it a little bit light and weak well it's a little bit thin but then that's sort of the point um and i quite like a i don't i don't really want to be able to you know stab my red wines with a fork um i don't like them too (laughs) (laughs) i don't like them too chewy and i think this will this will you know if i don't finish the bottle during the recording this will go very nicely on the riverbank afterwards so um uh, i think it'll be just just the right thing quite right I understand the point. I'd I'd go Burgundy instead of Beaujolais, though. Find something lighter over there. But lovely. Oh, on the riverbank, that would be cool. You can yeah, take but... your own little sort of uh, hamper kit just for yourself. <laughs> just for myself. I think I think my my brother might be a bit fed up if I turn up with um, <laughs> with with goodies just for me. But yeah, I've got a nice little. Well, I've got a cool bag that I'll take and um, got a bit of cheese and 
ham and salami and that kind of thing that I'm sure we'll pick at. Um, assuming that is we're not hauling fish out every 10 seconds, which is I would expect unlikely. Less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Chris, what about you? What have you got? So one of my best mates came around at the weekend. Uh, we had the barbecue out, the Weber. Uh, he was actually he said to me, I've heard a lot about this barbecue. And I was like, oh, yeah, you must have heard the ad. And obviously we play that in each episode. I haven't I don't talk about it every episode <laughs> deliberately. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he he said to me, um, I think you need some help with your drinks on the podcast. Uh, and I was like, oh, how rude. where did you get um, that idea from? <laughs> I've he said, I've got you a lot. I've got you a a." Um, a beer which absolutely cannot be categorized as a supermarket lager. Uh, so his he swaps some. Uh, I don't know what, I, what it must be. I oh, know he. I think he must get he must get feed from this chap for his cows. Uh, so anyway, he gave him a load of, of, of this beer, and it's the Red Fox Brewery in Coggeshall in Essex, which isn't a million miles from where I grew up. Um, Hang on, re- 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 rewind. Who, who's given cows to who? I'm oh, sorry, you've lost me here. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who the guy the guy who owns the brewery, I think, must is give it, some feed. Oh, so he's not the chap that came around to yours for the barbecue. No, your friend. No, okay, sorry. No. That's that's where but, I got confused here. I was like, where yeah, are cows no. getting involved? <laughs> I think he the chap who owns the brewery gives feed to my best one of my best mates. And uh, uh he um anyway, he's also given him a load of this beer. So Pip has gone and passed it on to me and said, Have this on the pod because it's not a supermarket lager, which is very good for him. So it's called Coggeshall Gold and it's really good. Like I actually love this. So it's like a golden ale. Yes, and it's really chilly and perfect for the moment. Sounds very nice. Sounds extremely refreshing. It is, and I've really recently really gone off lager. Uh, I think I had a bit of an incident on a stag do where I got food poisoning, and I just since that point have Bad not been beer. able to drink. Drink, yeah, it was just that shitty Spanish stuff. I forget what it is, but you know, everyone's got uh, a drink. Everyone's got a drink that. They've had a like a horrendous. I mean, maybe when they're maybe they're really young. I mean, I've certainly had a couple, but there's a couple of drinks that I could name. Foster's being one of them. If I see <laughs> if I see the stuff, I mean, in this, oh, it, it makes me gag. It's just horrific. What's the other Malibu? Yeah, that's oh, that's god, a big no no. Yeah. Oh god, who? That was never a drink that anyone liked. It was just no a drink no no. They drank. Yeah, just a drink that and I didn't drink. Obviously, drink wasn't very good at drinking it, so that ended extremely poorly. Uh, but yeah, you must have. You must have drinks that, that really bites you back. Oh, um, I mean, I can't. Tequila is an absolute non-starter for me. That's an, abs- an absolute no. <laughs> um, and I once got incredibly drunk on kind of homemade Normandy cider, um, and that wasn't a pleasant experience either. Was this, was, this, wasn't in, this wasn't in Digby's cellar, was it? This wasn't in Digby's cellar with that, no. that half-grown stuff that we drank. We drank at his last year. <laughs> Well, I mean that's quite chewy, isn't it? But um, no, this was um, this was some stuff that we'd brought back from France, and you know, just like a, there's a sort of wooden sign propped up against someone's gatepost as you drive along, says the whatever the French for cider for sale is, um, and it's, one euro uh, per liter. And fill up yourself. It, exactly yeah fill up the fill up the car's <laughs> petrol tank um and it's it's kind of some of it is probably really nice and some of it is deeply dodgy um so yeah i won't be doing that again well now we're all super suitably uh lubricated um george whose bird is it anyway yes so 
Um, Ollie, in case you're not familiar, uh, the first of our listener correspondence segments is called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting dilemmas and queries and quandaries, and we do our level best to help them out. We always keep the correspondent anonymous um, so that their identity is protected. Um, And this one comes from somebody I've decided to name Napoleon. And Napoleon writes... Pre-COVID, I was asked if I would like to join the beating line of a small local shoot. Shooting 60 to 80 bird days, the shoot was very friendly. All guns, beaters and pickers up would meet for coffee and bacon sandwiches in the shoot host's house before setting off. We had a friendly 11s break altogether and a cup of tea and a slice of cake at the end of the day. A brace of pheasants to take home and a gun on beaters day. All pretty normal. I joined knowing that there were no wages for the beaters and was happy to do so. Post-COVID... The host no longer has anyone in for pre- or post-shoot food and drink, which I totally understand. However, one of my beta friends has recently become a full gun and has informed me that he is tapped up for £40 a day for beta's wages. I've now attended for four years and have not been offered a penny in terms of wages, but have realised that some beaters enjoy everything I do, plus receive a small wage to offset their costs. Nobody expects to be paid anything like what their time is worth, but I feel that if one person is paid, all should be paid. Should I say something to the host or just to just look to beat at another shoot that treats everybody the same? I enjoy the day, the countryside, the banter and seeing the dogs work, but it's starting to annoy me that not all are treated equally. Yikes. Ouch. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> um, should I start? Go yeah, for go. it. <laughs> So I mean, the first thing is obviously is the withdrawal of the hospitality for the for the for the team. I mean, that's 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 clearly why they were getting away with not being paid before, which is fair enough because a lot of a lot of places do that. It's you know everybody's everyone comes in is fed, uh, oiled, etc. That that being removed, you then have to you know I suppose at least cover the fuel and the fact that this has then gone to that stage. I mean, in his shoes, in Napoleon's shoes, I'd probably just say. Uh, I'm, I've been made aware that other people are being paid and, and I'm not. Um, it's really difficult, isn't it? It, it? The thing is, though, he's left himself with a, should I look elsewhere? Now, if you're going to look elsewhere, you might as well confront it because if that goes badly, either way, you're off, right? Uh, mm. the, the only question is whether he just wants to avoid confrontation, which is very British. Um it's not much confrontation. It's just saying, look, you know, I'd love to be have my fuel covered or at least something for this, especially now that we don't have the hospitality. I was just wondering if there were any plans to do that. You know, I think that's quite a polite way of putting it. But he's got to say something. Are the guns being asked to be to chip in for the beaters' wages? Yeah. Yeah. That's the bit I'm not sure I would bring up. 40 quid, first 40 quid per gun per day. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, right. it's really, really awkward. Because that's, that's definitely not going to all of the beaters either, unless, you know, I think there's... In, in, unless uh, there's nine guns, 40 pounds per gun per beater, and, uh, you know, whatever, they're being passed on to beaters, and there's just more beaters than guns, so some of them don't get paid. <laughs> that's a fairly <laughs> brutal way of deciding yeah. it. You know, you're, Napoleon, unfortunately, you may not be the best beater there, so perhaps that's why you're not being paid. <laughs> and, and, of course, in their eyes, let me just finish a phrase. <laughs> How about he asks him... How about you ask him, what do I have to do to beat better in order to be paid? (laughs) (laughs) 
just assuming that you get paid more if you, you get paid if you beat better. When are they being paid? It would be my question. Where the just we're just when they're all sort of waiting for them as they get off the beaters truck at the end of the day, it will be just just watch where the people being paid go and follow them and say, "Where's mine?" I'll have one of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, something something's occurred to me, which is maybe um, there's a reason he's not being paid. Maybe he's genuinely a dreadful beater, and they they're sort of gently trying to edge him out by <laughs> not out. paying him. I'm sure that's not true. There's no way that anybody listening to this podcast could be a bad beater. No, no. Well, what tip? What tips would you give a really bad beater right now, then, George, to make sure that he wasn't? <laughs> what are the things he's got to look out for to improve his beating game? Surely, George isn't the best person to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you are either, Ollie. But well, you know, everyone starts out as a, as a beater. You know, they do. I, I beated for a bit. Uh, I think the key. It just is he good at judging what a straight line looks like when there needs to be a straight line? Just check is he in that straight line? I think because if he's if he's not, then that could be a reason he's not being paid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, it's just old, isn't it? <laughs> I don't. I surely they're not going. Yeah, he's just not good enough. We won't pay him and see if he says anything. That can't be the case. <laughs> no, I. Chris, don't. I think you're right though. I think. I think. I think get, turning around and saying, "Well, I'm, I'm out. Any, I'm, I'm leaving anyway, so I might as well ask. You know, where's where's my paycheck? Um, yeah, but make and, sure and, you, you know, the, the guns are being are the guns being asked for beaters' wages? I'm not seeing any of that, guys. Um, yeah, and then ask for it to be backdated. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing he could do is message in and be like, "Look, I don't mind, actually." I'll stay anonymous, but I can name the shoot and we could just put it out there. And, you know, some other beaters or guns might raise it for him. Or crowdfund for Guns on Pegs podcast. We could crowdfund Napoleon's wage. <laughs> yeah, for, for, that, this is a very good idea. We, we're looking for sort of £20 a week during the season, max. I don't know how many. It's a small shoot. No, he doesn't need much. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Well, um, I don't know if we've helped, but um, we tried. We've discussed. <laughs> we've discussed a bunch of options of which napoleon can choose one i think and uh i think i think i think confrontation whilst fearing of sounding terribly un un-british is the way forward here um it is you need to say well you know this isn't fair where's my money is that your motto in life confrontation is the way no forward. no not always um <laughs> if, I, if, I, if i'm behind the wheel then yes probably normally is the way <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course. I'm ter- terribly, terribly good driver. Yeah, I, I yeah. Just tell him to do that. Solved it, George. Yeah, well, d- uh, let's have an update, please, Napoleon. Um, yes, let please. us know. Why did you call him Napoleon? Oh, I'm so happy you asked, Chris. Um, the the whole thing <laughs> made me. <laughs> the whole thing uh, made me think of a line from Animal Farm, uh, which is that all animals are created equal, but some are more equal than others. Um, oh, God, and, he's really thought about it. And Napoleon yeah. is one of the pigs in Animal Farm. It's the first time I've ever really gone, like, maximum intellectual. Um, <laughs> Animal Farm, George, like... George, George, George Orwell, wasn't it? Was it Correct, Tolstoy? Yeah. No, yeah, it's Tolstoy, Animal, yeah. Yeah, Orwell, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's why Napoleon is there. Gosh, I'm glad I did ask, because you would have been seething that I didn't. You <laughs> <laughs> would have just said it anyway, I think. <laughs> just in case you wanted this asked. <laughs> Yeah, like half an hour, half an hour later. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have definitely given a small prize to anybody who'd emailed in, having caught the reference. 
Um, right, moving on. Uh, got an un- unpopular opinion, Chris? Yeah, so this unpopular opinion comes from someone George has called Toto. And uh, we'll get onto that in a bit. Toto says, guns have lost the ability to mark and a lot don't even try. I understand how on big shoots, where they're hugely efficient picking up packs, that there isn't really a need, although I would still argue there is a duty. However, this nonchalance has now started to spread to the smaller farm shoots where I and my two spaniels play our trade. With two semi-controllable dogs, I tend to both beat and then assist in search and... (laughs) search and rescue after the drive so on emerging from the beat you generally get asked to take a look for a hard hit bird in that hedge over there and then i always ask where's your mark how hard hit and is it a cock or a hen now i appreciate that in the thrill of the flush you might not be able to give a what three words or indeed might have even got confused over the sex although this one still boggles me but i would say that the last season the overwhelming response was a pretty blank stare I love working my dogs, so I actually enjoy a good wild goose chase. But some of the marks I've had this season would need a fox pack to do any justice. <laughs> One of the common defences for the smaller shoot is that it's a fun way to put free-range fodder on the table. If that's the case, then the ability to mark any wounded bird is surely a top priority, as is a follow-up shot, but that's another email. Good point. Yes. Very good point. Ollie, have you seen this? Are you is is this a? Do you, are you sensing a, an attitudinal change here that we need to address? To be quite honest with you, it's it's. I think it's not being taught to the to the to the to the guns. Um, you know, up and coming as youngsters, or even those learning uh, uh, at a later date. Just it seems to be one of those. Yeah, you because know, obviously, rightly so, we're so fixated on safety and, and that sort of thing, and you know, etiquette to, to other guns. So. You know that seems to be the focus, and I I think it's just one of those things that's missed out. You know, it's uh, particularly if you don't have your own dog, uh, and you see all the picker uppers behind you. It, it, for some, I think I think generally the the reason is that, that what I've experienced is I've asked, you know, I've gone up to guns afterwards as a host and said, you know, what, what, did you get a mark on that bird you hit? And he goes, well, half the time it's what bird, <laughs> you know, it's um, <laughs> yeah. it's just you know, which, yeah. which that's that, you, you joke, but. You know, a lot of yeah. these guys don't even know they hit these birds. So, let alone mark them. Um, and it is a problem that's creeping in, uh, which is it's not a good problem because obviously, as a community, we, particularly with wounded birds, we want to make sure they're they're found and dispatched as quickly as possible. Not really one you can teach on a playground, is it? When well, no, it's just one of those things. Exactly, but you joke, but it is. It's one of those things that people coming up from or graduating, honestly, graduating, but you know, moving on from clays or as well as clays. It's just not something that you, you think to teach them. It's just one another one of those things which comes with experience and comes with, with, with you know, being told. And, and having a good mentor as well, right? Having a good mentor to tell you, you know, I, I, I still think that, you know, the, the years that I spent shooting with my dad standing with me uh, are invaluable because that's how those sort of messages get in. And I think particularly if you're relatively new to game shooting, you might not necessarily know what to look for in a prick to, to tell when you've pricked a bird. You know, it's it, it, you, it, obviously knowing when you've knocked one out of the sky, it's a pretty binary thing, hit or miss. But I think yeah. sometimes there are little telltale signs that an experienced gun will know to look for um, it, to say, actually, that bird has been hit, but it hasn't come down. Um and certainly when we have new guns shooting with us here at home, I make a point of 
um, trying to keep an eye, you know, when I'm not shooting myself uh, or if I'm out of the action a bit, I'll try and keep an eye on the on the rest of the line so that I can go to someone and say, you hit that cockbird and it's set its wings and it's gone back that way. Um, this being said, I do also have a reputation for sending pickers up on a bit of a wild goose chase as well because I say things like, I think I might have hit that one. I wasn't going to say it. I might have hit that <laughs> oh, one, no. but I'm not sure. I Could you just I go hit- and have a look? I- <laughs> Yeah, you just hoped you hit that one and the poor person bears the brunt of your desire to have one in the bag. Um, I think that uh, uh, the point you make, George, about someone bringing, like when when you're young, if you're lucky enough to have started shooting when you're really young, and a lot of people have, like a huge number, uh, you've got that mentor. I think that that obviously that person's duty is to these sorts of things, isn't it? Like a bunch of things, etiquette, safety, all that sort of stuff. This comes, it comes in... Uh, uh, in that category however as shooting's grown and grown and grown there's a lot of people getting into shooting at a later date when it's a bit sometimes awkward to have a you know a sort of 50 year old man have someone else stand on the peg with him that kind of talks to him like he's his dad i i i find i think that's definitely an issue so i think the for those sorts of people it's a pride it's a pride thing for these guys isn't it yeah it is and then you don't want to sort of I don't know, do people feel like they don't want to be the last one back to the gun bus or something? And they're like looking for ages. You know, I almost, my dad used to spend forever looking for birds, uh, just making sure that every single last one was picked. And people would sort of, you know, some people would be like, oh, we're still waiting for him. But then like, there'd always be someone who'd shut that person down and be like, no, he's doing the absolute right thing of making sure that every single one picked. I think we almost need to bring that back, which is like last one back to the gun bus. It's almost like the coolest because he's really taking the time. Yeah, you're right. A a great friend of mine, he's, you know, in, in my, in, in my, in my syndicate, he's, he's uh, works uh, a lab and, and two cockers and, you know, he will he'll he'll pick his own birds, and then if if you see, he'll literally go around all the other guys. You, you know, like like you say, maybe Bernard, they want to be first back to the gun bus or first to elevens, elevens is. Yeah. But what, yeah. did you have any birds? And he'll, and he'll go and he'll go and look for those birds, and you always he'll, he'll sometimes come back twenty minutes, twenty five minutes later. You know, and uh, but yeah. that's for him. That's and as rightly so, and as it is for a lot of us, uh, and should be, it's a, it's the main part of the day is is finding the quarry that you the, that's that's that's. Mm. been slipped yeah. in the net by the, the pickers up, pickers up etc and obviously we're all aiming for clean kills all of the time and i wonder if that means that there's sometimes an element of embarrassment about saying i've hit that and not killed it outright but i think yeah, in that if that is the case you have to remember that the pickers up are there for a reason they want to be there for the most part and sure you know picking up uh shot game um and, and finding it in cover and so on is uh, a satisfying thing. But I'll bet if you ask any picker up, it's the prick bird that's gone miles back and they've spent 25 minutes looking for and they've eventually found it tucked up in some uh, some brambles or something. that they they That's their bathtub bird. So I don't think anybody should be embarrassed about saying to a picker up, I think I've, I think I've hit that um, and this is where it's gone back. But... The, the trouble with the marking element, which is the other aspect of this, is if your focus is the next bird, which I think can happen quite easily, particularly on yeah, a busy drive. But it can't the, be. That's where you get the failure to mark. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I think that's the starting point. It can't be. And I've even on a busy, big, like a bigger day, if you prick one and you know you've hit it hard you you cannot be looking forward and pulling the trigger until you've spotted where that thing's landed because 
the picker up's going to want to know. I think that's just this is a cultural shift. We've got to if this is if people are feeling this way or this is starting to happen, we've got to nip it in the bud because. Well, I mean, what, one of the biggest things I that frustrates me as well is when you you see you see a gun you know hit the bird with the first barrel and plenty of time to take that second shot and it, it's perhaps not you know do you know what I mean when you hit the bird hard and it's coming down mm. but it's sort of a diagonal trajectory sort of locking its very last bit of its wings and makes the hedge you know I was like yeah I could have had another shot and I'm like I, I do actually I turn around to the guns I'm like you have two barrels for a reason. You know, yeah. um, and it's it's, well, it's it's the case. Or, did you, or worse, they and, just break the gun, or they look for the next bird. I'm just like, you know, there could have been a second shot there. Um, and, as Toto said in the last line, he said, "As a follow, as is a follow up shot, but that's another email." And yeah. so, yeah, go on, Toto, send send it in. I agree with you. The 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 route that Ollie's going down. Um, so, what do we think? I mean, uh, so this I'm I'm sensing this is not an. Oh, I, so, I see his questions actually is so is this an unpopular opinion that this is happening is a tricky one to answer uh but do we agree with what he's saying absolutely uh yeah is the onus on hosts is the onus on hosts to turn around and say in the beginning of the day you know the briefing uh please pick up your empty cartridges please mark your words because i mean I, i'm guilty of not saying that and i and now i've had this conversation with you guys and thank you Toto I probably will say please mark your bird what's sorry what's marking a bird yeah oh, I'm glad you asked yeah exactly <laughs> you know? this is it this is a, a an entirely separate conversation but I do sometimes think that the shoot briefing is a bit like the safety briefing on an airplane which is oh, if yes, you've been yeah, on enough shoot days yeah. you're like yeah 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 don't shoot the beaters I get it fine like come on let's get cracking um and and that we could we do better to um pay more attention in those situations it's I, like the the right you know, well just <laughs> you know the you know the all the the, the, <laughs> the famous kind of diva-ish things that rock bands put in their in their rider yeah you know only blue yeah. m&ms or whatever the reason they're doing that is to make sure that the tech guy that everybody's reading their stuff that they're doing it properly so they put in something very specific and pointless to make sure that they can be confident that the lighting rig's not going to fall in their head halfway through the halfway through the set yeah and it's the same yeah. thing like, i just wonder if if shoot captain shouldn't start putting like i don't know a quiz question halfway through the briefing and offering a prize for the end so that they know for sure <laughs> that people are paying attention well i was thinking you know so you know the podcast garters like they're they they become sort of in demand a little like, and a really nice thing to have what if shoots just had like tie badge cap garters whatever one of those things and they said right at the end of the today in the briefing it's and this will get people listening. At the end of today, there's going to be a prize given by the pickers up for the gun of the day, and uh, pickers up decide, and they'll they'll chat amongst themselves, and one gun's going to get the 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 coveted shoot uh, tie or garters or whatever, uh, and then that starts over a period of time, and the pickers up basically will say, yeah, you know, this gun he was supremely helpful, he shot well, he did this, he put marked all his birds, he helped us back to the whatever, you know, and then those are the sorts of reasons, not just he shot the longest bird, which is boring. But that sort of thing would then start people going, yeah, that's what's cool. Yeah, yeah. like the lo- the longest retrieve award. <laughs> but the point being, the pickers up to side. Yeah, yeah I think I like that's probably that. quite quite a good idea. That's, that's that's not a bad idea at all. It adds another element to the to, to the day as well. Everyone um, loves a bit of gamification, don't they? A bit of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we do a we do a uh, one of the things going back to George's point about you know dropping in the the blue M M&M and M in the briefing is that we have a. Um, you know, it's a standard uh, sort of set of set of 
briefing and then we have a mobile phone rule where you're not allowed to use your mobile phone during the day and if you're caught using your mobile phone your hat will be filled with mud at the end of the day thrown up in the air and ceremoniously shot um <laughs> and, and people take this very seriously i mean firstly it improves the day no end because you know you're you're on a day shooting if you need to work you can do it at levenses or lunchtime but the point is you're here to enjoy the day you're here to be looked after by us so it, it takes away that element of you know you've seen people on the peg birds start coming they're just you know on the phone or so it completely removes that and if they are called that then you'd be amazed how quickly their neighboring gun you know like, he's on his mobile hats hats <laughs> with a then goes in the hat then goes into the um sweepstakes so it all uh all, all, it's just like i said a bit of fun I really like the idea of your shoot lodge having a a, a display of hat trophies. You know, uh, like, shot hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the better what we've got is we've got a uh, ladies' pink Royal Ascot hat that if it's your hat is shot in the morning, you have to wear that in the afternoon. Um, Very which nice. Is, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those silly things. That's a uh, quick way to make sure partridges avoid you, isn't it? Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's good. That links into the discussion about mobiles that we had in one of the previous pods with, I don't, was it Tarquin or George Ponsonby or someone? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, it was recently. Yeah. Uh, I was sort of getting getting quite outspoken, suggesting that the, the phone be shot, but I actually much prefer your suggestion, Ollie. I think it's slightly more palatable just shooting someone's hat. It goes, I think they used to, the, the, back in the day when phones were far less valuable, Dad, I think, did have that as a second strike. They take the SIM, when you could just take the SIM card out and put it in another phone. That would just yeah. say, you know, your brick would be thrown up in the air or something. But now, obviously, phones are whatever they are. Um, I think yeah. perhaps that would be, you would ensure that they wouldn't come back next year if you start shooting their, their mobile phones. Um, <laughs> their prized yeah. possessions. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need one of those old school clay traps because a, a, a flat cap filled with mud, I reckon you could get some distance on that with a clay trap. Oh yeah, but I mean, even just even just you know, from behind the gun's hand, and you'd be amazed how many guys come back the next year proudly still wearing the hat with with great big holes in it and all sorts. But I guess it's got a story behind it. So we've had guys that have come back and then had the hat shot again the next year, and by which point it's just to, <laughs> just like in pieces, like you can't wear that anymore. <laughs> oh, very good. Right. So uh, Napoleon and Toto and, of course, Ollie are now members of the most noble order of the garters and will soon be in receipt of their very own set of the highly exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. If you too have got a shooting confession, quandary or query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or if you've got an unpopular opinion, or if you'd like to tell us about a forgotten drive and you would like a set of garters, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. And uh, just quickly on the Forgotten Drives, uh, we have had a submission. So keep an ear out to the next episode for that. Um, what are you trying to show me on the screen there, Chris? I've got to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Dogs on Pegs. Oh, yes. <laughs> Speaking of things that will keep the partridges away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we received a letter uh, from Dogs on Pegs, who's on Instagram. Uh, and he's had a couple of mentions in in the pod over his time. He was on the uh, live episode, uh, our 50th Not Out episode. He was particularly drunk. But anyway, basically, George and I have received, uh, and Frank and Digby in the office, actually, this ridiculously garish pink tie, which is about as garish as the garters. Uh, so, so it's getting a bit OTT now. Uh, Only real men can wear pink. Yes, but it it's getting... Yeah, it doesn't, it's starting to not look great. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, so 
Sheldon has sent this in. He's actually said where you can get it as well. So he's basically making it open for others if they want to sort of go that extra level to match their garters. If you go to Frederick Thomas, Google it. Knitted silk tie in bright hot pink. <laughs> knitted. Yeah. It's knitted. And it's it's one of those ones that's straight at the end and narrow. Oh, no. No, not them. Sorry, Sheldon. Can't get on board with that one. <laughs> it's pink already, like to another level pink. It's not just like a nice little sort of weddingy pink. It's... <laughs> garish pink anyway yeah. it's lovely i'm gonna wear it i'm looking forward to it ties are coming back on sim days george are they, they are now anyway according to whom um, according to me and my pink tie, <laughs> okay. pink tie. Yeah, the clays won't be scared of the tie so it's the only time you can wear it exactly uh yeah so no thank you sheldon yes thank you sheldon thank you very much i will wear mine with pride you know me can i also come back before right before before we get off fashion is crocs Making, no. Yes, they're making a storming return. No, this is only in Cornwall. I've 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 been checking this out because Digby raised this, yep. and I swear that it's not it's not got out of Cornwall. <laughs> Are we saying Crocs on shoot days? Yeah, no. Well, I, I work, so I work, You must have seen Crocs at uh, at morning morning coffee. No, no, you've never seen Crocs at morning coffee. No, I don't think I All have. All the time. I, wow. Well, you should you should be considering it because it's. If, it, Okay, I understand. I understand they're comfortable, but they—it's like, like someone going to the supermarket in their dressing gown or Crocs. Equally <laughs> unacceptable. Dressing gown and Crocs. So I've got I've got real tree camo Crocs. Yeah, I've seen these, which are which are pretty um pretty garish. I think you could possibly go along along the pink because. Well, other than the fact you've got invisible feet, um, they're, <laughs> they're just they're, they're multi, multi-purpose. If, if there's there's people of, of game shootings yesteryear who are turning in their graves at the concept of people going to go to the morning briefing in Crocs, <laughs> honestly, like when I first started shooting, you you had to shave, you had to wear a tie, you'd be turned, you'd sent away with, if you hadn't done either of those. The idea of Crocs, honestly. Well, you weren't allowed beards. No beards. You wouldn't. You you literally wouldn't be able to shoot. At this shoot, nor would you, George. <laughs> Times are changing. Does that mean that Crocs are coming back? Open question. Hopefully not. Email us pod at gunsonpegs.com with your Crocs views. <laughs> Subject, Crocs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, Ollie, tell us a bit about Land Hydrock then. So, um, yeah, we've uh, owned, run, or managed about uh, two and a half uh, thousand acres. Um, the family uh, gave the house, uh, uh, parkland, and a fair amount of woodland to the National Trust in the 1950s. Um, as with all, you know, all these big houses, it was becoming extra- extraordinarily expensive to look after. Um, so that was the best course of action. So the trust now uh, own run the run the house, but we we kept um, a significant amount of the land, which is now what we now run um, as as the estate. Um, so. Yeah, it's um, it's a multifaceted sort of uh, business, I'd say. It's, you've got a farming operation, uh, obviously uh, property um, as well, and then and then, and then the shoot, which um, my my grandfather sort of rekindled from from the, the ashes of what it was back in the good old days of shooting, I suppose, in the sort of early early twentieth century. And um, he rekindled it to a sort of a small farm shoot, and then my dad took it over in late 90s and has built it into um yeah well i even though i say so myself one of the finest shoots in the region so um 
you know, that's his hard work. And I've, I've only really got, got involved, got involved with it in the last four or five years. Um, uh, and we've, we've had a keeper who's been with us, uh, since he was, uh, 18. So initially started working uh, on the farms here and then dad took him on as a head keeper. And, um, we've just this year taken on his daughter as an underkeeper. So, um, keeping it in the family there. Uh, but yeah, so that's the brief overview sort of that's really cool yeah it's uh it's very, yeah. very family 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 run that's epic that you're taking on his daughter as well yeah i mean yeah, um, I, yeah, won't, I, won't, I know you wouldn't want me to mention any names but yeah he's she's she's undoubtedly as, as hard working as he is and um i think it'd be quite cool in a few years to have a female headkeeper as well so um so my f- my first question uh how's the relationship with national trust because i know of at least two shoot estates that have national trust links and both are not going very well um <laughs> we have a very very uh good relationship with national trust for the most part uh we are actually their tenants as well in in, in the parkland so we um uh, we farm we put a lot of our hereford into the into the, into the parkland there being honest it was uh, there was a bit of friction um between myself and them uh with the whole um love island thing uh, as you can probably imagine uh, you know the uh, the, the, yeah, <laughs> well, State being Lanhydrock State Company being us, uh, and they start, started calling themselves Lanhydrock State a few years ago. Um, before that, they were just National Trust Lanhydrock. So they sort of blurred the lines between us and them. So when obviously there's any drama with my family uh, and 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 our, uh, I could guess you could call Love Island a bit of drama. Uh, they. Obviously, straight away, the press, being the press, didn't do any kind of research. They just Googled me, Googled my name, and then did, they made the link to the house. And so the trust was sort of dragged into, dragged into it slightly. I mean, they had a few very nasty um, death threats left on their voicemails in, in the house. Um, oh, so that obviously being picked up by volunteers in the house wasn't very nice. But I mean, none of this is my fault. Uh, this is all completely out of my hands. So I think that, was, that caused a bit of friction. But... For the most part, we have a very good relationship with them, um, considering, uh, and yeah, uh, hoping to, to build on that as I as I as I move forward and and start to take over more of a leading role. So you you mentioned that you're kind of taking on more of a role with the shoot, um, and I thought that this mm-hmm. is probably a subject that that applies to quite a lot of um, owned and operated shoots, where there's sort of one generation taking over from the next and you've already alluded to it as well in terms of taking on the headkeeper's daughter as an underkeeper so that transition can either go smoothly or it can go not smoothly i guess is what i'm driving at um how's it how's it going with you and your dad i'll be the first to admit that uh, dad will never retire um you know he's this is his life um and it's, it's his life's work as well so um he's He'll he'll never, you know, unless he f- figures out how to buy a boat and sail around the Caribbean, he'll never uh, he'll never truly retire. I don't think, and I've I've accepted that. So, but I wouldn't want him to retire because you know every every time I have an idea or or, or he has an idea, we'll we'll bounce it off each bounce it off each other. And um, whether that's whether that's shouting at each other, bouncing bouncing off each other, or um <laughs> or just generally you know like as mates, um just 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 shooting the shooting the um. The SH1T. So uh, it's. I, I think it's. It is actually so far um, been a very 
um, positive and exactly as I'd want it, you know, um, treating my dad as, as one of my best mates, as well as, um, as well as obviously my boss, <laughs> um, any ideas he has, any ideas I have, we sort of, we, we run with them together. So in answer to your question, yeah, it's, it's been going great so far. Well, that's quite cool. It's, it's really enjoyable when you can do it. Obviously, like my dad and I have that really close relationship, similar, in that, although he's not involved in the business on a daily basis anymore. Like I always just ring him for ideas and stuff and like just doing that together and then like seeing the results of it. Yeah, you two, usually. It must, it, must have, it must mean you've got a pretty awesome relationship. Yeah, I mean, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you are, ditto. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, this... The, it's the responsibility of your estate is, and it's a really interesting one because of this national trust link as well. It must make it that much harder. Like, do, do you find that you, is there a little bit more sort of red tape where you've got to sign things off with them? You know, you talk about these ideas with your dad and then do are you finding that there's a, it's just a little bit more complicated than it otherwise be? Um, well, fundamentally we, we own the vast majority of the land we, we, Right. we operate on so um yeah. there's only a small amount that um is is actually leased from us uh to the trust uh on a long yeah. lease um and then yeah. the trust we donated the land and the house to the trust that they that they now own so yeah, yeah. there's not so much a gray area in that sense the, the gray right. area sort of comes when it's um you know it's 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 as the trust move on with their business and you know the, the, you know certain things that there's been friction on when when they built a big cycle hub uh in the in the woods um around Rock, which you know for, for for the most part didn't go down well with the local community because that was you know seen as as anti-conservation you know it, ripping out loads of trees and putting loads of cycle trails in could be argued that perhaps that's not what the trust stands for in terms of, of preserving and maintaining areas of natural beauty. And I think that was a sort of reciprocated uh, with, with, with myself in the fact that, yeah, to, to, that's the areas of friction that, 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 that tend to appear. Um, but yeah, on the most part, we we do actually have a quite a good relationship with them. Like I said, we're their tenants on the parkland. So we, we, we farm the parkland for them. Uh, and then uh, most of the grassland around, around their, their areas. But... Um, like I said, they they firmly own the land that the family donated them, uh, and we we firmly own the land that we, we kept. So, yeah, it's it's quite clear cut in that sense. And uh, Ollie, tell me, how long has your family been at Land Hydrock? Do you know? Is it, is it you know generation upon generation upon generation? Yeah, I mean, I think the family tree goes back to Richard Roberts, who's early late fifteen hundreds, early sixteen hundreds. Um, so that's that's we've family tree of mum and dad's house goes back that far uh, and that was a sort of start of the cornish um you know i mean there's dad speaks about this day at its peak you know being a lot of it being in ireland as well um i'm not really sure the exact link there but um you know there are there are times i think when the estate was about two hundred and eighty thousand acres um so a serious wedge of land um of a, a lot of cornwall a lot of devon but obviously, like all, like all, you know, um, big estates, or well, vast majority, they, were, they inheritance was chipped away and um, and slowly but surely uh, shrunk down to um, being being donated in in the fifties when there was really yeah. no other option financially. Uh, so yeah, it's been around for a while. So I guess that makes the 
uh, the bit that you do still own even more precious, right? And that's and there's there's a different kind of responsibility as well that comes with that. I mean, I remember my dad saying to me, and we don't have anything like the same quantity of land, but I remember my dad saying to me when when I was quite small that he didn't really think of it as land ownership, more of as like custodianship, that it, it almost that we belong to the land rather than the land belong to us, which I always thought was a really, really nice way of looking at it. And I guess that with that, you know, we've been here a hundred years. If you've been there several hundred years, that sense of place and responsibility to that place must be even stronger. Well, it's, it's, I, I call it stewardship. You know, it's, um, you're, you're stewarding the land for the next generation. You're, you know, you, yes, you may own the land and, um, and so on and so forth. But for me, it's, and I know my dad feels this way as well. It's not necessarily a fear, but it's a. It, well, I suppose it is a fear. You know, you don't want to be the generation that, that drops the torch. You don't want to be, uh, you know, that. And I and I'll openly say it now. That, you know, the generation that, that when the house was donated to the to the trust, they were they you know they fundamentally they dropped the torch um, through no fault of their own. Um, I'm sure, but the, the because it was just too expensive to to run, and that was the only outcome that, that was seen at the time. So, like you say, the, the, what's remaining is is so important to to, to us as a family. Um, we have to protect it in whatever ways we we can, and always looking for the next um, for the next way to to create income and create um, and create uh, ways to, to 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 look after it for the next generation. And I guess so. That leads me nicely onto the next question, which is um, nothing stands still. Um, whether it's in in farming or or in the shooting world, so have you got any plans for the shoot? How do you see that developing over the next five, ten, twenty years? I'm not really sure if I should say this. Well, I mean, shooting, I think, is unfortunately on the clock. Um, I think the way we have it at the moment is as good as it's going to be um, in terms of you know we we have a lot of freedom in in the, all what we can and can't do as a community, uh, and I think uh, unfortunately our freedoms are going to be um, more and more restricted as we move forward. And that will affect uh, shoots and the state's abilities to, to make shooting financially viable. So we have to look to replace um, any income that was created from shooting with, with other preferably, you know, um, similar activities, which can utilize the land in, 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 uh, in the same managed way as that shooting does. And I think, for me, one of the things I'm looking at doing is, like a lot of other states have already done, is um, is simulated dates. Um, it seems a it seems a very clever way to utilise your facilities as a shoot. Um, you know, essentially the only thing that's missing are, 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 is the game. Um, everything else is the same. You've got your hospitality. I suppose that you don't have, unfortunately, have the beaters and the picker uppers, uh, so they'll lose th- that that community sense and that you know that. Will sort of disappear, which is you know a hidden, hidden negative that a lot of people don't understand. Um, but you're, you're from the guns' perspective, you're you know you're stood there with a with a loader or whatever, and you're shooting similar sort of. I wouldn't want to say a bird as a target, but you obviously clay as a target so that are coming over. So that's what I see ourselves doing over the next couple of years is is is, is developing that side of of, of of the um of the the business. Uh, but yeah, I think. Unfortunately, like I say, shooting is 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 is, is changing and is um, perhaps not always for the best. I, I completely agree with you that shooting is going to change, and I also really agree with your comment that you know right now essentially it's sort of unregulated. You you got that freedom, I think was the word you mentioned. <clears throat> I'm not sure I agree necessarily. It's on the clock, but I think it's a different debate. Yeah, but, yeah, um, um, 
but I think we're going to have to be a lot more focused on on what it delivers and it actually almost links back to that sort of cycle park type thing you mentioned with the national trust you know it's about land use it's about inputs outputs all the rest of it um and i think so there's so few shoots that actually make a surplus that without the um desire of the landowner or the land manager whoever it may be to actually lay on that shoot in the first place by and large shooting really wouldn't exist you know it's not a money-making scheme and very few that we find in our world where they're actually profit making of course uh, when you've when you've boiled it all down but i think it is going to change and i think that sort of you know ha- each estate will be different and, and what you end up doing on your ground will be up to you um but you'll keep people coming back i'm sure because there's a massive sense of place and you've got that awesome countryside and create the atmosphere when you get there and if you shoot a few less birds or you do it in a different way or you know some sim days as well yeah probably not quite the same thing to a lot of people but uh, it's going to be awesome to see what people do and I, I also think it's a bit of an opportunity and I think it's something we've just got to have to uh, we've just got to have to stand up to and realize it's going to happen and do our best well dad and I we said you know time and time again we don't shoot um we don't shoot on our ground to make money um, in fact, we've, I don't think we've, in the last 10 years, I think we've probably made profit once. Um, the only reason we shoot at home is to, is to be able to show off the work that our, you know, that our gamekeepers do, that we do, um, that our, everybody who inputs into that estate has, has done. Um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic way to, to show you know, people coming from all over the country, really, um, mm. our, 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 little part of the, our little part of Cornwall. Uh, which you know, without the shooting, there's 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 valleys that you know. Well, I do stalking, so it's different. But uh, you know, Dad obviously he he admits it. You know, it gives him a chance to walk the estate properly. You know, um, without it, he he, he said you know, I probably wouldn't wouldn't you know wouldn't go down into that valley. For what, why would I go down there? You know, it's it's just um, it's an it's an interesting dilemma. But it's you know, being brutally honest, is it, we, no we. You know, very, very rarely make money, and that's not the reason we do it. So it's it's a really interesting um, subject matter. This whole the, the future of shooting, and um, it leads me on to a thing that I did want to ask you about, um, which is um, so much of it comes down to public perception, and I think that you, more than anybody else I can think of, have experienced the full, uh, you know, um, laser like glare of the the media spotlight um where it applies to shooting um you've already alluded yeah. to it uh, a couple of times you had you know a, a petition set up to get you off the program you've had social media abuse you've had articles in the newspapers about you i don't want to ask what it's what's it like i want to um, like how do you how did you deal with all of that at the time how do you like it's got to be an incredibly intense uh experience how do you cope with it in the in the full glare of that spotlight well by all means ask what it's like and i'll, I'll tell you it's um it's not very nice uh put it that way um you know waking up even still uh i wake up i mean i woke up today with a message uh, just looking at make up to request on instagram saying i hope get, i hope you get run over by a bus today you horrible um very rude word uh so it's still there and it still happens. Um, but in answer to your question, I had a very, very good um, family around me, very good group of friends. Um, one of my best mates was actually running my Instagram account when I was out there. Uh, and he was an absolute saint. Um, he literally put up with, obviously, 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages a day, just people being like, kill yourself. Um, yeah, I'm going to kill you. I know where you live. Uh, I'll kill you in the next 12 months. Um, and we're getting these voice, obviously the trust, we're getting these voicemails as well, which is horrible for the, for the house staff. Um, I mean, they had nothing to do with it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a frenzy that was completely and totally stirred up by uh, the newspapers. Um, and it was completely sensationalist in terms of, Half the animals in the actual photos I didn't even shoot. So that's the crazy thing about it. Obviously, I have shot buffalo and I have shot, you know, if I, hold, I hold my hands up because I, I, I sell buffalo hunts. But the thing is, if they had actually done the research and looked at the Instagram post they pulled it from in the first place, they would have realized that I hadn't shot the animal in question. Did any of this make you change anything about your habits and the way that you post or anything like that? Did it, did it actually have any actual impact other than the difficult nature yes, of it receiving did. Yes, it did. like that? Yes, it did. It did. It definitely made me, um, you know, obviously getting all these messages and being very public where I lived, um, it did make me think twice about what I did. I mean, I, I had a pretty horrible experience in, uh, in Truro, actually, on a night out. I was, um, this was about four weeks after the show. And I, first time going out, uh, on a night out and I just went for a few beers with some mates and um, I thought no one would recognise me and all this and obviously I didn't really appreciate how how much of a big deal Love Island was at the time I suppose especially someone from Cornwall you know being obviously on it and going back to Cornwall and I went I went into this restaurant in, in Truro and I went in through the doors and honestly it was like you know that Wild West moment when the doors just swing open and everyone just goes silent it was there was a full restaurant. It must have been about it was it must have been about a hundred people in the restaurant, and everyone just looked and went silent. And I was like, "Okay, they, they still these people recognise me." <laughs> and it was it was pretty. And I sort of sat down, and everyone sort of went back to their thing. And then people coming over asked me for photographs and all this. And I was like, "This is weird." I really didn't like it. So I thought, right, we'll just go to go to my mate's restaurant, and we'll sort of do a lock in. So we had a few beers at his and then we went to the bar next door and it was, that's when it got completely out of control. And obviously because alcohol was involved and people were coming up to me and be like, why well, you shoot animals? You, I was obviously trying to have the same conversation with about 400 different people. So I left and these two blokes clocked me and they just, um, yeah, they just, they then just, they probably went for, we had a, a full on, full on went for me. And I just basically, I don't know. It was like, there was at, least at one point, there was about six of them all trying to, so I just ran, literally just ran. Essentially, for what, what I was concerned at the time, I literally ran for my life uh, back to my mate's house across the whole of Truro. Just, and that was the only time that I ever felt like I was actually in danger. And that was, it made me, that that made, unfortunately made me change my routine because I didn't want to go back out for the next, I didn't go back out for the next six months because I didn't want to put myself in that situation again that cause I'd lost all my mates and I was just with these random blokes who wanted to do damage. And obviously, I, I mean, I, I don't, as shooters, you can't, you can't, you feel like you can't defend yourself in that situation because if you turn around and smack him one when he smacks you and you knock him out and he hits his head or something and the police arrest you, it's your gun's gone, you know? Yeah. So I can't, yeah. I almost feel like I can't, def- so I mean, I'm completely stuck between a rock and a hard place that all these guys on beat me up, but I can't, I feel like I can't respond. It's, it's so weird. This, it's just not obviously like we just would have no association with, un- or, you know, ever having this and just, the fact that people can be like that, just absolutely mental. And I have another one. There was another incident in Bournemouth Sevens, but that was that, that was just, I think, just a guy just just took a dislike to me because he recognised me from a TV show and 
belted me in the back of the head with a bottle. So that was um, pretty exciting. Oh my god! Gosh, but I didn't. So, I didn't. It didn't break my skin or anything. I just obviously have a pretty thick skull, you know. So, <laughs> so I was like, "You just put, smash a bottle over my head," and he was like, "I'm what, mate?" And I was like, "Okay, I'm running away from this guy." <laughs> Goodness me! So yeah, it's been. Uh, but yeah, it's been pretty wild. Ex- pretty wild couple of experiences, I guess, like that. But touch wood, nothing too major happens, I suppose. Yeah. Do, I mean, would you? Is that? I, I don't know. Like. Do, it's it's so awful. like you shouldn't have to be like this. Obviously, the just the fact that you go shooting and stuff. Obviously, we know that people are against it. But would it, if you could go back and sort of start that whole episode again, would you have still done what you did? Because doesn't you know there should be nothing to stop you doing that. There's nothing wrong, and you shouldn't feel that way. But or, or does the output of it make you feel have an element of regret? Hey, listen. I mean, I wouldn't. Let's be real for a second. I probably wouldn't be talking to you guys today if it wasn't for, for it wasn't for that whole thing, would I? You know, let's let's put it like that. Um, I mean, it might have been. You might have decided to to randomly interview a, a, a small shoot owner in Cornwall, but um, I I don't regret any of it really because it's the the opportunities. That's good, that's good to hear. The opportunities it's brought me has has been has been great. Um, you know, I've I've met so many amazing people in in the industry. And outside of the industry, and when people actually, particularly when it comes to Africa and conservation hunting and and so-called trophy hunting, you when you actually sit somebody down, explain explain to them. They may be an antique. When you sit them down, just like, do you know? Can you just give me five minutes to explain to you my side of the the, the situation, and and then you can cast your aspersions again. And ninety five percent of the time, when I've sat them down and had the had the conversation, explained all the second I call them secondary and tertiary benefits. Obviously, your primary benefits is your hunter and he gets the trophy, etc. But then the secondary benefits goes to you know, the community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As we all know so well, they actually go. Mm. Do you know what? You're, no one's ever explained to me. I was like, funny that because you've only ever read the Sun, uh, and they yeah. just say, yeah. you know, big rich white man shoots out lion. That's the end of the. That's the end of it. He's sick. So here is his. Here he lives here. And that's literally that's that is the be all and end all the article. There's no, but his money was you know donated to. Hundreds of thousands of dollars was went to the local community and stops poaching in the area and all sorts and um, builds schools and feeds the community and you know and prevents uh, uh, all sorts. So yeah, what's what's almost ironic about that is that the the big game hunting in Africa argument is almost one of the easiest to make or defend at least uh, than, than than all of them. Yet it's the one that almost gets the most anti publicity. Yeah, it's dis- it's disnifying, is what I call it. It's sensationalist. It's disnifying. Um, you know, it's it's people just just you, you see obviously a buffalo and you see your your various animals and obviously some are more. If you look at the reaction, irrespective of how endangered they are or anything, there are some which are just they just trigger more people. You know, for example, the one that triggered a lot of people for me was the warthog, and there are millions of warthog in, in Africa, millions of them. But because people have watched The Lion King, and hang on, that's Pumba, it was, you know, that was yeah. one of their big primary photos they pushed. Um, not the not the Eland, which is which is which is one of the which is the biggest antelope in Africa, because no one knows what an Eland is. There's no there's no Ellie the Eland, is there? It's Pumba. And hang on, he shot Pumba. So that that's the reason that African it's just it's because it's so badly portrayed um in the press. And and I do think that I'll admit it. Social media has a re- has had a really negative impact on 
on rifle hunting as a whole because you shoot your animal uh, and the first thing that, I mean, rightly so, we're all guilty of it, I suppose. The first thing that a lot of people want to do, and it's almost part of the experience now, is they straight away, they get the phone out and they're like, yeah, well, well, look, you know, they're going to get a photo. And it's almost like that's that's what previously was your cape and head mount on the wall. A lot of people won't even, they'll just be like, no, I've got my photo. That's all. I'm good. I will stick that on a frame. And, and of course, they'll post it on their social media. And in the heat of the moment, you're over top of the animal and you're grinning. And if you take all of the your opinions away from it and you look at the face value of what that photo is to someone who doesn't like shooting is it's a usually a relatively wealthy person stood stood over a as far as they're concerned lion king animal lion king animal with a great big grin on his face and they're like you know he's a he's a sicko and i i hate him and so should everybody else and that's the it's, it's not a great output of the situation is it though that's the thing. Yeah. I've always thought those photos, like they don't, they definitely don't tell the story of what happened oh, God, prior no. or what's going to happen after. If anything, we should just stop doing that and just accept that it's gone because it's like the amount of flack for one tiny aspect is just not worth it. Agreed. But I know what you mean. Like it's a shame we shouldn't have to stop doing anything because we're not in the wrong type thing. But at the same time, you know, give and take. It's common sense. Win, isn't it? Common sense. Yeah. I, I must admit, I, I, I learned a lot of common sense through this experience and, and uh, it's, you know whilst i i still do post photos of that nature um i make sure that the, the they're very very uh you know the caption is extremely self-explanatory it's you know it's it's dot dot jo, jo, we took this animal because x y and z this is where this is where the, the meat goes this is what happens to the various parts and so it gives the those antis um and your and your well in particular the media less ammunition to to start um, sensationalist riots. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, it's completely understandable why people would want that photo though, right? And you've hunted in Africa a fair bit. And I'm guessing, I don't think I don't think neither Chris or I have pulled the trigger in Africa. I'm guessing it feels a bit different to being out, say, stalking a roebuck in Cornwall or something. It's just a completely different experience. So I can understand why people might want that photo for their memories. Can you? How does it compare to to being in this country doing something that's ostensibly quite similar? The first thing is obviously you know antelope and plains game. Once you've done it a couple of times, is there's not that much difference. I'd be quite honest between going up and you know stalking a stalking a deer in various different climates and and things. It's just a little bit warmer or a little bit rockier or a little bit further you know, a little bit different trees. But, but what really changes the dynamic in Africa and which is what a lot of people, um, I'll be, it'd be fair to say if they can, I suppose, you know, lucky enough to be given an opportunity to do it, uh, is, is the dangerous game aspect. Um, you mm. know, when you, when, you start, when you start bringing buffalo into the situation, which are deadly, quite simply, um, you know, if you're you come face to face with a, with a buffalo without a gun, with a, with a lone angry buffalo, particularly if he's wounded, you're in you're in a world of pain, literally. So that's where it completely switches on its head because you know, if you hunt buffalo enough, you will you will end up shooting one charging, and that, there's that's, in my opinion, the pinnacle of the pinnacle of of uh, of, of hunting. Um, you know, open sights, uh, double rifle or something like that. You You've got, a, you know, clients, buffaloes got up and come at you. And I mean, Paul Childley had a very good, if you want to watch an experience. That's an amazing video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
he keeps on checking, he keeps on winding up David saying, I saved your life, I saved your life. <laughs> but um, for example, that goes to the backstory. That had a, um, was caught in a snare and had been wrapped around, had a snare wrapped around its leg for, for or neck or something for months. And uh, that's why that was so angry. And it came at them through dense thicket, you know, poor misses, someone's getting gored. Um, and that's what, for me, that's what switches it on to, it's just, well, yeah, it's just, there's a, there's a, it's a deer in a field or it's an antelope in a field and you're harvesting the meat to, if I miss, I die or my client dies um, or vice versa, you know, so that change, that changes it. You know, that's, um, and it, but also it's, it's, you don't always have to pull the trigger. So, you know, it's, it's with elephants particularly, they're very easy to control just by using your voice, using your body language. Um, you know, a rifle is very, very rarely required for a, for a grumpy elephant. You, know, you normally send them on their way with some stern words, but generally. Each animal in, is different in the way it reacts, and it's it's a, it's a thing that you can constantly learn. And as you go to a hunt, you, you experience something new, and then they say, oh, but if you do this with this animal, so that gets people coming back. So it's that it's that it's that opportunity with a, with a dangerous game. I think that it is really what I call the next the next level in uh, in terms of of, of the hunting experience. I have a feeling you might be heading there in desert island shooting. You may be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So one last day. Money's no object. The laws of physics don't matter. Time travel is possible. You can do whatever you want with whoever you want, wherever you want. Where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you taking with you? And you're allowed to use the Guns and Pegs private jet as well. Okay, brilliant. Special occasion. Does it because the laws of physics don't cancel? Because is it like a hypersonic jet? Can it go ultra fast to my destination? Yeah, no one else has one. Okay, brilliant. So it's like a rocket, basically. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So I st- e- Elon Elon's been trying for years to recreate what we've been, we've had since the start of this podcast. No, no, no. That was knew that was the link. Right. So it would start, I suppose. Um, have we? I think I'd have a couple of drives at home. So I'd have my t- so two. You know, we'd. We'd save the drives all year and not shoot anything till just just drive everything over, you know, my my mates or my syndicate over a couple big big drives, loaders, whole nine yards, and then we get in the Guns or Pegs hypersonic jet and fly <laughs> to Mozambique. Uh, we'd land straight on the Safari runway, which is really only reserved for helicopters and small planes. But because the hypersonic jet is defies the laws of physics, we can slow down and not crash. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, then basically, yeah, this is where, where I sort of, um, have been before with the Buffalo and stuff. Uh, and it's just, it is as close to old Africa as you can get, um, in terms of it is 2.8 million acres. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's massive. It's, it's, it's a, how big is that? I just, is I think it's like, a million acres? I think it's like the same Could size Cornwall- as Corn and Devon. Yeah, I think Cornwall's a million acres. Isn't yeah, it's, it? it's vast. It's basically it's basically based all around the Zambezi Delta. So the Zambezi River runs through the middle, yeah. uh, and you, you you're going down. Well, you, you go down that. One thing I still haven't hunted yet, and I mainly because I'm terrified of them. Um, and uh, uh, I've been on hunts with 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 people shooting them, but I've never had a chance to pull my trigger myself. Um, it's crocodile, uh, and we've you know we've been down into the Zambezi, and we've asked um, the locals and sort of translated with my trackers and so well is it you know grande crocodile grande crocodile and they say well yes there's there's one here in this pool and he last week he take he ate someone's dog i'm looking i'm like this pool right here and and like yes yes i'm like well, why is there 25 children playing in this pool as we speak and <laughs> yeah. and then and the track turns around and goes oh no boss they they believe in destiny so 
only would the crocodile will take them if it is their time to be taken. And I'm like, uh, but that's the, way they, that's the way they think. That's parenting, isn't it? But I, they never, some of these kids had never seen a white person before, so they, and they thought I was a ghost. So they got, they got down there, and then they were terrified of me because they'd never seen a white man before. So they were running away, screaming and crying. And I was like, what have I done wrong? And they were like, oh, no, boss, I think you're a ghost. <laughs> yeah, it's proper, proper <laughs> wild. Uh, and then you go down there and you float about in this massive river. And also because of the horrible civil wars they've had there, um, when they were having the terrible genocides, they were dumping the bodies into the Zambezi. So the crocodiles got a taste of human flesh. So these crocodiles now actively hunt human beings because they're so old. You know, a crocodile can be well over 100 years old. It's, they just, they, they, that's their, what they lived off for many, many occasions. So they now actively hunt humans. So, you know, you fall in the water, there's a good chance you're eaten by a crocodile. So I tend to avoid that sort of part of the, part of the area. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you've got the swamps. And it's just, yeah, I just basically go around there with a 375 double rifle and see what happens goodness me exactly <laughs> and then all the locals get fed at the same time so win-win and then what happens at the end do i do, do is that the end of, do i just die well uh no you said it's the last day shooting yeah it's your last day shooting not your last day living <laughs> okay so <laughs> you can do both. maybe you feel the need to do both i don't know like if it's last day shooting oh, that's yeah. the end that's me just sign yeah, out right. yeah i just jump in the zambezi <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs> go, sw- go swimming with crocodiles and see how you get on. Yeah. Wow, that sounds good. Ish. Well, like most of it, apart <laughs> from the last bit. Yeah, apart from the last bit. But you know, it's, that's that, that's the deal. So, um, no, but yeah, it's yeah. just it's just I've one of the coolest places I've ever been. Um, it's just very relaxed. It's very you're off properly off the beaten track. You've got to get a little tiny flight to get in, or the of course the guns on pegs hypersonic jet. Yeah, it's just amazing. So that would be the that would be where I'd where I'd, where I'd finish my career. I'd have to go on the list. Yeah. We've not done it either of us, have we, George? No. Let's so, sort no. it out. The problem with these podcasts, Ollie, is that we end up with a lot of things we need to sort out. That is, and not <laughs> and not enough money to, to address the problem. Um, but yeah, it's really enjoyable listening to the various different stories. And yeah, exactly. Well, but when we're out there recording a podcast, we can look back on this and say, yeah, that was one of the things you clicked, you ticked off the list. Yeah. George is all up for uh, traveling to foreign destinations and recording podcasts. He, he just likes doing it without telling me, though. So. <laughs> well, uh, it was it was a proof of concept. It was a proof of concept. We've proven that it works. Now we can do it more. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cool. Count me in. <laughs> Mega. Great. Well, Ollie, it's been great having you with us. Thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been fantastic. No, really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, cheers, Ollie. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Right. As per usual, there is one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas, sending us your unpopular opinions, or sharing your forgotten drives. Just drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. And if we read it out in the next episode or any future episode, we will send you some garters. We will be back again in a couple of weeks with another special guest. But until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.